so much. It's our privilege this evening to welcome for the first time to this stage, but to show for for the third time, fourth time, Rick and Diane. Diane, thank you so much for joining us for the first time in South Africa. We're really blessed that you've come with us, and we look forward to also just have more conversations with you. So Pastor Rick, he's still a pastor, but he just retired as a pastor, and I just handed over his pastorship after 28 years to the congregation in Colorado, where he was. He's a... The, he's on the board and the head of the externally focused church. And um, him and Diane have been married for 40 years in a few months now already. So 39 years and six months. God has blessed them with three children and seven, eight, eight grandchildren. Eight grandchildren. And there's some more to come. They said they're expecting some more. The Lord will bless them. But Rick, thank you so much. We've been receiving you in Shofar for a few years already. Thank you so much for sharing with us your journey of, of God looking beyond church and uh, looking into the neighborhood and practically meeting real needs. Thank you so much for your example and for faithfulness. And I know that uh, you're in, a, in an in-between phase in your life. And we pray that we as a congregation will also bless you today, that, that in some way God will speak to you clearer about your next half of your life. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. We, uh, we're, we're, we're having a great time, and I'm glad Diane got to come with me on this trip. And, and technically, we've only been married 39 years, so I want to like, stretch that any further than it is at this moment. Because so, when you get to 40, you, you are old at that spot. Uh, when Diane and I first um, uh, got married, we got into a really um, uh, heated conversation. And, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm a last word person. So like she would say something, I would say something. And, and uh, uh, I said to her, I got so mad, I looked over and I said, I wouldn't marry you again if you were the last woman on the face of the planet. And she looked over and said, I know you wouldn't. You'd get killed in the stampede. So I'm grateful she stayed with me this long. It's been a blessing uh, to, to our lives. The, um, do you know, uh, while I'm on the spouse thing, and then I'll pray and get to the sermon, when your wife says to you, what'd you just say? Guys, she is not asking you to repeat yourself. <laughs> She's giving you a small window to rethink what you had just said. So just a... A little advice. Let me pray. Here's what I know. When, when we gather as a church in our place, across our campuses, across all of our services, uh, what I know is this, that when we come into the room any given time, uh, when we come to worship, we're not all in the same place. Uh, some of us have had a phenomenal week. It was the best week of our life. We closed a deal. We, uh, somebody said yes to a date. We, we, we got, we got a, the grade we wanted. Our boss just praised us. Something positive really happened. And some of us, have had the worst week in our lives. Spouse walks out, um, someone gets sick, somebody passes, bad news, heavy hearts. There's a lot of different stuff. And one of, the, one of the difficulties I think we have is we assume what we're experiencing is what everybody kind of around us is experiencing, and that's just not true. And so I just wanna pray. I wanna ask God to meet you in the middle of whatever you got going on. Uh, good, bad, or ugly? for God just to meet you in that place and for him to speak into our lives as we've uh, gathered here. Let me pray for us. Father, just thank you. Thank you for the privilege we've had to gather to worship. Thank you uh, for uh, this congregation. Thank you for uh, Pastor Ross and the other pastors who lead in this place and the heart they have for this city. And, and Lord, as we've come here, we just, we come and we just want 
to invite you to meet us in the middle of the things we have going on in our lives. Uh, Father, we, we just pray that you would help us in this moment just to set aside the things right now that are distracting us, the things right now we're anxious over, and just allow you to speak into our hearts and our lives, and we're just grateful for your goodness and your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you only get one job. Have you seen some of those pictures? It's one of my favorite websites. You only get one job. I want to show you some pictures because uh, sometimes we get a job and we don't actually do it well, right? Uh, like, how would you like to have that job? Or maybe this one right here. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's my favorite one right here. I, go figure. I'm gonna paint those lines. They said paint those lines no matter what. Just <laughs> ah, I love this one. It's my favorite. Yeah, you only get one job. Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you to turn over there because I don't know if you realize this or not. Matthew chapter 22 is actually uh, the place of Jesus' very last press conference. The very last time he stood up and took questions from the crowd, Matthew chapter 22. And here's what's going on. The first question he gets asked by the Pharisees is one that has to do with taxes. All right, everybody wants to know about taxes, and so they're trying to trap Jesus, and they ask him a question about taxes. The second question they ask him about is marriage and resurrection, kind of two big deal topics where there wasn't a lot of agreement among the Jews about what you should do, nor was there agreement among the Jews about taxes. The third question, the big deal question, the very last one he gets asked in this press conference, in fact, if you go to the very end of Matthew chapter 22, it says this, no one dared ask him any more questions after this. So here we are, Matthew 22, and he gets asked this question. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 613 commands that we find given by God in the law. And those 613 commands over the centuries had a number of revisions done to them. So now you got several thousand uh, rules and commands. There was a long book, and here was the deal. There was not agreement in Israel about which the greatest command was. It depended on which rabbi you happened to track with or follow. It depended on which region of the country you were from. It was various traditions in the Jewish sect about how you might believe. And so here was, they thought, the perfect question. We're gonna ask him of the 613 commands on which there is no agreement, which one is the greatest, and he's gonna give an answer, and as soon as he does, he's gonna divide. He's gonna divide. In the US now, if you're uh, paying any attention to our politics, and I hope you're not, uh, it, it is divisive now. It doesn't matter what answer anybody gives, automatically there's at least a third, if not a half of the country that is not happy with your answer. That's what the Pharisees thought was gonna happen here, that they were gonna get Jesus called out, that people would begin to uh, root against them. Because remember, now the crowds are showing up and they're getting bigger every time he's around and he's challenging uh, the religious authority about their structures. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus right here says, you're gonna get one job and it's got two parts. Your one job is to love and the two parts of that are to love God and let that love be expressed in how you care about the people around you. Love your neighbor. Now, if you were at uh, Stellenbosch this morning, I talked about this command only uh, from the passage uh, in Luke chapter 10, where we have the story Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan. But right here, this invitation, and here's where Jesus says these words, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, everything that God had said, every command that had been uttered, every prophet uh, who had spoken on his behalf, Jesus said, everything that God has said hangs on these two things. Now, that's a big deal thing. Do you hear what he's saying there? That everything that God had spoken, everything he'd said, everything that had been uttered hangs on these two hooks, hangs on these two pegs, hangs on these two hinges. If you've ever tried to swing a door where one of the hinges is off or broken, that door doesn't move very freely. And Jesus is saying this, you want the door of your life to swing more freely? Hanging on these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And here's what I've discovered about us in the church. Some of us have got the love God part down. I mean, we show up at church, we've been in discipleship stuff, we can't get enough Bible study, someone announces they're doing a, a, another study on some something and you're there, you sign up for it, they call out, we're doing a retreat, we're gonna have a prayer meeting, we gotta come together for a break. You come to those things, you show up and you are bathing and digging into that and that's a good thing. And then there's some of us in the church who are really good about the love neighbor. We wanna serve, we wanna help, we wanna see, we see a need, we wanna meet that need. We, we wanna help somebody who's got a problem. We wanna figure out how to solve a crisis. We wanna uh, go on a mission trip to, uh, to Nepal. We're gonna go get engaged in those things. And that's a good thing. The problem is that some of us choose one thing over the other thing. And there's not an airplane on the planet that can fly without two wings. And Jesus is saying this, you want, you want your plane to fly, you want the door of your life to swing, hanging on these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. I was uh, speaking at a conference in, um, on the East Coast of the US and it was, uh, um, it was a great little place in Virginia and they wanted to take me to one of those um, kind of boarding house uh, restaurants that was one of those where George Washington supposedly had eaten there and slept there, you know, all the things that people make up and aren't really true. But we went to this place and I'm, I'm, I, I'm a comfort food person. Um, you know, I don't wanna eat healthy, you know, like quinoa, like, I mean, anytime you have to say, hey, this doesn't taste like quinoa, right, right there's a clue, right? Uh, hey, we put enough bacon and stuff on it. You don't even know you're eating it. It's like, eh, give me a donut. <laughs> and if you were here this morning, you get that, so. Um, and, and so we're at this restaurant and, uh, and, and they had, they, the people who owned the restaurant went to this church and so they were wanting me to try all the food, and they kept bringing stuff out, and it was the meatloaf and the fried chicken, and then there was some like pepper steak, and then there was like pork chops, and then there was like, like, like meatballs, and there was potatoes, and mashed potatoes, and fried potatoes, and I mean, and it kept coming, and I was like, man, I was in, I was in, I was in, until all of a sudden I was like, Whoa. 
whoa, whoa. You know when you get to that spot where you're, where, where you're eating and then you have to take a sip of water because you're afraid, right? You're, you, 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 get, you know. And so we had finished, and I was like, thank you, Jesus, we're done. And, and they said, and now we want you to try our desserts. And they brought out peach pie and cherry pie and like some banana bread thing, and they were watching me eat. And I had shoved everything I could possibly shove. I mean, I was like, I was like, oh, I was just dying. I was just, I was, and then we got in the car finally, and I was feeling miserable. All I wanted to do was like huck up my left lung at that point. <laughs> do you know when we sit in the church and we are Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. We stuff it in and stuff it in and stuff it in. At some point, our only choice is to vomit back on the people who are feeding us. Love God and love my neighbor. What happens when we take what we're learning and experiencing and we're and we're going back out. So the church isn't designed for us to like be a place where we're, we're just here so they can feed us and take care of us. And boy, we like the worship, so that's why we go there. We like the preaching, that's why we go there. We think the kids stuff is great there, that's why we go there. We go, we go, you know what? Those are all good things, those aren't bad things. But this ought to be just a refueling station for you. Because you, you get fed in here and you get pumped up and you get re recharged and then you head back out there and you spend all of it. <laughs> and it isn't just for those who kind of get paid to do ministry, who get called by God vocationally because all of us are full-time ministers. And it doesn't matter whether I'm involved in, I own some other companies, I do some other business as, long, as well as with pastoring. And it doesn't matter whether I'm, I'm sitting in a meeting with uh, those talking about the banking solution we're bringing or, or working with a data marketing company or uh, a, a tech company or, or I'm in with our staff. It is, it is how is it that what I'm doing, God is being honored and people are being served. And so Jesus says, love God with everything you got. And I apologize if you were there this morning and you heard it, but, but that's loving with every five year being because God loves you. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no comma in that sentence because every other kind of love I've ever experienced in life is a conditional love. I'll love you if, I'll love you when, I'll love you but, but, but I'll love you because, right? And the reason we have a long string of busted up relationships is because it's always been conditioned on something. And God says, I love you, Period. If there's anything you're gonna do today that's gonna to make God love you more and there isn't anything you're gonna to do today that's gonna to make God love you less. And then he says, and I want you to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor. And that's not easy for us. When Jesus in this passage uh, says to us, love our neighbors, he's actually, he's actually talking about what God has done is he's drawn closer to us. Genesis chapter one, verse two. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God was hovering. He was, he was outside a bit of time and space. Exodus chapter 19, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you, and you'll always put their trust in you. God gets a little closer. Now he's in a cloud over the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 40, 
Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now God was dwelling with them. He was in the tabernacle. John chapter one, verse 14, God gets a little closer. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God had gone from hovering to being a cloud over the mountain that he spoke to Moses to over the tent of the tabernacle where God dwelled with them. And now Jesus shows up. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message says uh, this verse, God moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I love that. But now look where God goes. First Corinthians chapter three. And don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Where did God go? God went from hovering to a cloud to the tabernacle to Jesus in the flesh to now in you. Love God and love your neighbor, why? Because where you go, God goes. Where you go, hope goes. Where you go, grace goes. Where you go, love goes. Where you go, strength goes. Where you go, courage goes. If God is in you. So what would happen if we would get better at these two things that Jesus said mattered most? Loving God and loving our neighbor. Because the reality is most of us don't really know our neighbors. We, um, we I think it was uh, nine years ago, seven years ago, potentially, I'm trying to remember exactly when, I gathered our elders up. I felt really convicted about this. Our elders and our staff, we met in our kitchen. We filled our uh, living room and our kitchen with their spouses. And, and um, uh, because I'm convinced that I'm never going to ask people to do something I'm not willing to do. And so uh, I, we had been a, an externally focused church. And when I was here in 2012 and 13, I talked about the stream going by the front door and how do we get in the stream as a church and why the church ought to get outside of itself and how I would tell our church, you ought to quit coming to church. Uh, I mean, I don't mean just quit coming, but you ought to go be the church, not just come to church. And in and, uh, uh, and the, and the process where that just kept getting more personal, went from corporate for us to what would happen if we would do that personally, actually? not just our church, but us individually. And it really moved us to this neighboring and this question of what would happen if we get better at the two things Jesus said mattered most here. And, and so uh, we did this little exercise that, that we call the neighboring map. And the truth is I call it the sheet of shame. Uh, just flip that up there if it'll come up. Do we have another, uh, nothing there? Okay, so pretend what you're seeing up there <laughs> is like a tic-tac-toe grid, okay? And in the middle is your home, your dorm room, your condo, your apartment, your flat, wherever it is you happen to live. And then around you are the eight closest neighbors you have, okay? So whether it's someone down the street from you, next door to you, uh, the eight closest neighbors you have. Right there like that, looks like that. And uh, here's, we asked three questions. And I would give you time to do this, except I don't want you, I mean, we've had such a great weekend at Converge, it's been so uplifting, no sense in sending you home depressed. So, so but here are the three questions. Here are the three questions, and you gotta do this for yourself, because Diane could get this done, and I couldn't when we did this the first time. Name the names of the people that live in those homes, those eight closest dorm rooms, whatever that is around you. And then tell us something about them. Like, she's a doctor. He works for a tech company. And it doesn't count if you say, oh, he's a plumber because the truck in his driveway says Joe's plumbing. Okay, that doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't count. And then here's the third question. Tell us some hope or hurt or dream they have. And do you know what I found out? 
I thought I was a really good neighbor. I thought I was a good neighbor because our dog did not crap in people's yard. Um, we kept our grass cut, mostly because Diane loves to mow the lawn. It's a true story, she does love to cut the grass. And, uh, um, and uh, our kids uh, didn't play stuff too loud, uh, we think, at least, when, when we were around anyway. I would wave at my neighbors, hey, yo, how are you? And then I'd get in my garage, hit the garage door, close myself in. I knew my neighbors, but I didn't know my neighbors. And so we decided we were gonna, we were gonna do this, but here's what I said to our elders and our staff. We were gonna do this for a year before we asked the church to do this. Because if we're not gonna do it, no sense in asking them to do it. And how is it we become a better neighbor to our actual neighbors? Do you know I find it's much easier for most of us to go uh, across the sea on a mission trip and be bold for Christ and really difficult to go across the street. Really hard to go across the street. And I'm confessing that is true for me as well. And so seven years ago, we started on this journey of neighboring and, and uh, I am grateful for what I've watched happen in my own life and in my own neighborhood and in our church community as we simply sought to be a better neighbor. We were meeting with the mayor of a city uh, near Denver, uh, Golden, Colorado, and uh, it was a bunch of pastors and they were asking the mayor, what could we do uh, to help the city? What would be better? And he was just kind of riffing. He was talking about the issues in the city and things that are going on. And I'd helped a thousand churches ask that question to their officials over the years and, and uh, sat there and he said, do you know most of the problems we have in our city would go away if people would just be neighbors. And here you got all these pastors. And Jesus had said, there are two things that matter. What are they? Yeah, so here's the group of people that are supposed to be helping you love your neighbor and the mayor is saying, you know, people would just neighbor better. <laughs> and here's what I know is statistically true. Christians and non-Christians uh, neighbor about the same way. Not much difference. What would happen if we actually loved our neighbor, like our real neighbor, like the one next door to you? And, and, and God, in, in his um, either sense of humor or wisdom or two by four, has placed us in a neighborhood that we love, but the one neighbor that our entire neighborhood struggles with is my neighbor. Like, yeah. But I wanna give you four practices that we've tried to help do as a church and that I've been trying to do uh, better on my side. And, and, it, and it takes some risk. When I, uh, I, was, I was living in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, Diane and I were uh, newlyweds. We had moved down to Florida and uh, our first two kids were born there. And um, I, st I ended up taking a job in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, I commuted though, I didn't, I didn't move to Cincinnati. I didn't think we were moving there. I thought I was just gonna help this uh, college and seminary out where I'd been for a year. And so I would fly out on Sunday nights and fly back to Florida on Thursday nights. And I was still at the church and I was doing both things. And um, I was flying on an airline time called Florida Express. And they were like the, the Walmart of airlines, right? They were really, really cheap. And, uh, and so I fly a lot, I travel a lot. I'm not a nervous flyer at all, but we're going down the runway and uh, the plane should be leaving the ground and it doesn't leave. And I'm like, you know, we should be flying by now. And the pilot backs off the engines and we rolled a long ways down 
down the runway, and uh, he sat there at the edge of the runway and revved the engines up and down, up and down, up and down. And, and uh, then, if you fly much, it was late at night, there was no weather, no traffic. Uh, he turned the plane, and we started going the other direction down the runway, and people now are paying attention, right? And we're like leaning forward, like that's gonna help here. And, and we get about up to speed, right about where we're supposed to take off, and this time he backs off the engines, hits the brakes, and we shudder to a stop. And, uh, and, and he's revving the engines up and down again, up and down. And now everybody on the plane is, is paying attention and really nervous. Seated next to me was a woman in her 80s who had never flown before. It was her very first flight. So, <laughs> I think she was thinking, well, you know, she wasn't nervous. She'd never done it. I think she was thinking, well, you know, they warmed this puppy up a few times before, <laughs> before they go. Finally, the pilot came on. He said, folks, we've got a problem with the plane. Oh, hey, thanks for that announcement. And then he said this, we're gonna go back to the terminal and change aircraft because it's our policy at Florida Express. If there's something wrong with the plane, we don't fly. <laughs> That's an awesome policy for an airline. <laughs> and I'm just saying, I don't, know, I don't know who wrote that for him, but it was, it was it's really, really wise. So here's the reality. You know, safety first is a great motto for a lot of things, but it's a terrible motto for you to live by. It's a terrible motto for you to work by. It's a terrible motto for you to have a relationship by. It is, it is a horrible motto for you to have faith by. Because I, I, think, I think grace is, is a dangerous thing. In fact, at Lightbridge, we say it this way. We, we want to be a, a safe place to hear a dangerous message about loving God and loving your neighbor. You know, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Man, that's true. But it screws with you first, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of messes with your assumptions, messes with the, with the reality of stuff in your own life that it isn't the way you want it to be. And so I think God's inviting us to some risk, and I think one of the big deal risks is right here. Am I gonna love God, and am I gonna love my neighbor? Am I gonna actually really love my labor? So let me give you these practices uh, that we've come to discover as a church that have been uh, meaningful for us for just practical things. First is this, stay. Be a person who gets to know your neighbors. Romans 15 says, each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. Here's what I mean by that. I discovered that I would get in my car in the morning, drive to church, go to something I was engaged in, meet with staff, uh, get involved in a lot of things our church had going on, and come back at the end of the day um, and uh, sleep. Next day I'd do the same thing. I was driving out of my neighborhood doing ministry. My house was just where I was keeping my stuff and sleeping. What would happen if we actually got connected? Do you know your neighbor's names? Start there, that's the first thing we ask people in our church to do, just learn your neighbor's names. I found out I'd been calling one neighbor the wrong name. I, I didn't even have the right name. And I went from this, I went from hey yo, or, to hey Joe. <laughs> Big difference. There's not a person in this room that doesn't like to hear their name. You want someone to know your name. And then find out something about them. And then, and then learn about maybe some, something going on in their family. And all of that happens when we stay connected in our neighborhoods. Here's a rule I have now. If someone's outside, 
I don't go inside. So if I drive home and someone is out and they're at their mailbox or at their, out the end of their driveway, they're in their yard, if they're outside, I don't go inside. Now I gotta admit, you know, I'm just being honest, there, there are nights when I drive home and I'll drive and look down my street first. And, and, and if someone's standing out there, I'll go around the block a few times, okay? So I don't wanna have to do that every night, but. But, and I'm not talking about going down there and having to like, you know, hey Larry, do you know Jesus? And have you read Leviticus recently? <laughs> I'm talking about being like a, like, hey, how are you? How's your day? Here's how my day went. And it's a, a few second conversation. Here's a second practice. Pray. Be a person who talks to God for the good of your neighbors. I wanna say this, and I know I'm probably gonna get in trouble. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you pray that your neighbor becomes a Christ follower. I hope that happens. I'm saying pray for your neighbors because you're a Christ follower. Pray for them. Pray for God to give you an opportunity to meet him, to actually have a real conversation. And we give our, our folks at, at the church a, a lot of things to, to uh, a lot of like conversation starters, you know, because uh, people want to talk about themselves. What was your greatest childhood fear? How did you guys meet as a couple? What's one thing you would do if you could really, what's on your bucket list that you hope you get to do something? Just stuff like that. Here's what happened, we started praying for our neighbors and then we started getting more engaged in our neighbors and we, we started asking a question, is there something we can pray for for you? And I'm stunned now by our neighbors who will text us or ask us, we, we've got some people next door to us now that uh, they just went to Israel with us, they're coming to church, we've had great conversations about God and, and uh, Diane will tell you, there's rarely a time with them where they're not saying, hey, could you pray for our son or our daughter or her husband or, or this job or this transition thing? Pray, pray for your neighbors. Here's the third thing, play, play. Stay, pray, play. Have your neighbors over for dinner. Invite them over for a drink, hang out uh, with them. Go to a ball game together. Go see a movie. Have a barbecue. Move your backyard into your front yard. And I wanna be confessing about this, okay? I'm the one who like, wrote a book about this. I'm the one who tells people at church we ought to do this. Move your backyard and your front yard. Recently, Diane cut down a tree in her front yard, paved it so we could put a thing out there, and I said, why are we doing this? I don't wanna do this. <laughs> I'm not talking about stuff that's easy to do. But what if you uh, played more? You know, Jesus had three purpose statements that we find in scripture uh, about uh, what he was up to. And, and uh, here's what Romans says in this passage. Practice hospitality, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Do you know the Greek word for hospitality comes from two words. It comes from the word philo, which means love or brother or family, um, and nexia, which means stranger. Philo, nexia. Hospitality means make a stranger feel like family. Make a stranger feel like, make an outsider feel like an insider. What would happen if we would actually play? What would happen if we would have a meal? And so these three statements in the Gospels from Jesus are this. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. And then, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm so grateful for his grace. And here's the third statement we have from Jesus about why he had shown up. For the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think Jesus may well have been put to death for his table manners, <laughs> who he hung out with. Because in his culture, in his day, having a meal meant I value you. Having a meal meant I'm accepting you. Not what you do, just you as a person. Having a meal meant giving credibility. And you go through the book of Luke, and Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. The most spiritual thing you might do this week, I'm gonna help some of you out right here, is eat. It may be, may be the biggest spiritual thing you do is have a meal with somebody. And again, we don't need to make it an agenda-driven meal. Here's what I know. I don't know a person on the planet that wants to be anybody's project. My neighbor does not want to be my new Christian, Christian pet project. Well, I went to this conference. I heard this guy say, you ought to love your neighbor. Here we are. Love God, love your neighbor. Because people, people respond to other people. 85% of people who come to Christ, doesn't matter what culture we're in, almost always say it was a friend or a neighbor or a family member who told me. You go through the book of Acts, miraculously a number of times God provided the messenger but never the message. It was always another person telling another person, telling another person. And I wonder what would happen in our community, in our neighborhood, if we would just start loving our neighbors, genuinely caring for them, showing up for them. And I love, uh, I love what I've seen happen in my own neighborhood. Uh, we had some people who lived across the street from us that we had gotten connected to and uh, blended family and lots of complication. And they recently sold their house and moved. But beforehand, they had said to us, you know, one of the hardest things about moving, we, we've, been, we've changed our mind 20 times because we don't actually want to leave being in this neighborhood. What if God has you right now in this place because of your neighbor. I'm grateful that I discovered the hope and grace of God because a neighbor invited me to go to a conference. That's how it started for me. He didn't tell me the story. He didn't get his Bible out. He didn't have me some track with the plan on it. He didn't have it all memorized, but he did invite me to go. 
and the strength of me going came out of my relationship, friendship with him, not because I was looking for some conference to go to. Um, let me close with this story, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be proud of your kids, and, and I am most of the time. Um, and it's vice versa for them, too, by the way. And we're proud of our dad most of the time. And our daughter, when she was younger, uh, I'd come home, and her favorite game for a season was the game hide-and-seek. You remember as a kid playing hide-and-seek? She loved that game. But she was terrible. I mean, she, was re she couldn't have been worse at this game. She hid in the same spot every time. Every time. She would go up into her closet, get in her laundry basket, pull some laundry over herself, close the closet door, and hide. That's where she hid. She was like four years old. I mean, I could give her a little credit, but she was terrible at the game. And I'd come home, and she'd say, Dad, let's play hide-and-seek. And if I was tired, I, if I didn't just say no, I would say, oh, sure. And I'd follow her up the stairs to her closet and go, oh, there you are. You know, but if I was being good, okay, which, which sometimes, <laughs> I would play the game. I'd start out downstairs. It's Chelsea hiding in the laundry machine. I'd slam the lid, you know. Is she in the refrigerator? I'd close the refrigerator. Right, then I'd start upstairs and I'd go in our bedroom. Is she hiding in mom's closet? And I'd bang around and she'd start giggling. She would be giggling already. I could hear her in her room. And I'd go to her brother's room. Is she hiding under the boy's bed? I hope not because there's stinky socks under there. And she'd be laughing by now. And I'd get to, I'd, I'd, I'd start toward her room. And, this, and the game ended the same way so many times we did before I could ever get there, she would tumble out of the laundry basket and come running down the hall and jump in my arms. Because you know why? The point of the game for her wasn't to hide. She just wanted to be found. Don't we all? Don't we all? We just want somebody to find us. What would happen? What would happen? if you and I got better at these two things that Jesus said, God said nothing bigger than this, love God and love your neighbor. Who knows? Maybe somebody gets found. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your grace. Thanks for the hope we find in you. Thanks for the kindness we find from you. And Lord, help us to be good neighbors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to take a moment and just uh, talk to the person next to you. I want you to tell them about the best neighbor that you've known in all your life. Why were they great neighbors? And then I want you to tell the person next to you and just discuss with your friend, what will you, how will you respond to God's invitation tonight? What did you hear the Lord inviting you in to tonight? What did the Lord invite you in? How will you respond this week? What will you do because of what the Lord said to you? Can we take that moment? Just take that moment. Just take five minutes before we stand up. I'll close the service after that. Your best neighbor, why? And secondly, what did you hear from the Lord tonight? How will the Lord invite you in?
Can we do that? I mean, just five minutes. <laughs>